Wow. That was a wonderful time, eh? Special time. If you got little ones, three and under, there's a nursery available for you. You could just follow the crowd and they'll be taken care of this morning. Why don't you get out your phones? We'll give you a couple announcements that you could put into your, right into your calendar while you're sitting there. If you're a regular part of our church, you know how to give uh, on a weekly basis. We appreciate that kind of consistency. It helps uh, pay for everything that we have going. If you're, um, there'll be a slide here in a minute about how to give. You can just uh, give right off your phone. There's also an offering box on the front desk in the Welcome Center. And uh, we don't normally take up offerings for ourselves, and so uh, we just trust you to give as the Lord shows you how to give. Um, we're going to get into several things here coming up. Uh, starting tomorrow night, we're in the, getting into the last few of our art uh, creative collective times for those who like to draw, paint, uh, write poetry, write anything uh, can meet at the Discipleship House and just spend a quiet evening together um, doing artsy kinds of things. And if you're into that, it's uh, every Monday night until the end of August at 7 o'clock at our Discipleship House. August 24th, we're having a prayer meeting with the Assembly of God Church. We've been doing this all summer. We've been joining with them uh, once a month and finding some place to pray. We're going to go back to Indian Pines Park, prayer in the park. This time we're going to bring some guitars and, and, and let our worship happen out in public a little bit. And uh, if you'd like to join us for that, we're just going to pray for our, our area. And after we're done that, if you want to put something on the grill and uh, that kind of thing, you can do that. There will be a baptism that night if you've not been baptized as a believer. Perhaps your, your parents baptized you when you were a baby, and that was their faith. But now uh, we want you to be baptized because you believe. And so um, that same evening, there will be a baptism in the lake. We'd like you to be part of that. Then on August 31st, it's a Saturday, August 31st. From 10 in the morning to 3 in the afternoon with a light lunch in between, we're going to do some uh, seminar on the Holy Spirit. We're going to go start right the basics, uh, introduce some people to the Holy Spirit, who He is, right up to the point where we're, you're going to be able to pray for other people to receive the baptism of the Spirit. So it's a training, equipping time. Uh, if you haven't had any teaching about this, or even if you have, but you'd like to know what we believe and how we approach this whole thing, we'd like you to get in on that. We're going to do that on August 31st, and we're going to do the same thing again, continue the same thing again on September 7th. So it's two Saturdays back to back, and we just want to get back into, into that emphasis again. It's uh, something that's been on hold for a while, and so we like to get back to that. And so um, we're just going to get into some foundation kinds of things. Even this morning, uh, it's just going to be foundation teaching. I feel like this morning's message is critical for where we're going to be going in the, in the next few weeks. Uh, we're getting into all kinds of things that I don't normally teach or haven't taught because they're so fundamental, but they're things that we need to teach. And you'll see why as we get going into this. And so... 
this morning's message is important because we're going to be pointing back to it for some of the other things we're going to be teaching. We're going to teach about the war that's in our soul. We're going to teach about discerning ourselves, why we do what we do. We're going to teach about legalism. We're going to teach about uh, child discipline. We're going to teach about marriage and what happens in the home. A lot of big, big concepts that we want to lay into our lives here. And so uh, it's going to start this morning with, um, with this subject of lawlessness. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 17. Genesis chapter 2. You know the story of Adam and Eve, and I don't need to go right back into the very, very beginning, but back to this moment where God said something that was so key. It was loaded with implications that Adam could never have understood. In fact, most of us today don't understand all that it implied. But he said, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. If you were in the bushes that morning when Adam and Eve took the fruit and their teeth pierced the skin of that fruit, you would have been surprised to find out that they didn't kill over and die. In fact, Adam didn't physically die for another 930 years, but he died. He died. He died in, on so many levels and, and uh, the most immediate thing is when he heard God coming down, you can read this in Genesis 3, verses 8 and 9, he would hear God every day coming down. I don't know if God was singing or what he heard, that he could hear God coming down in the cool of the day to have fellowship with Adam. And, and uh, he could hear God coming, and he hid himself. He covered himself. He hid. They both did. They hid from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord was calling, saying, Adam, where are you? And he explained in verse 10, chapter 3, verse 10, he says, I heard your voice in the garden, and I hid myself. He said, I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. The first sign of death that he experienced was a separation from him and God that he could never have expected. From that point on, from the, the moment he, that he sinned, their relationship was never the same. God never came back anymore in the cool of the day. It doesn't look like Adam ever sought forgiveness or, or, or confessed his sin and asked for pardon in any way. But their relationship was over the way it had been, the, the close communion. And death uh, isn't just dying and going into the grave. Death is, is a spiritual kind of death that we can all experience to this day where we get separated from God. The fellowship gets breached. Fear came into his heart. He'd never known fear before. He'd never known shame before. Never knew uh, that he was naked. I believe Adam and Eve were clothed in light. And the moment that they sinned, that glory that they're clothed in left, and they saw each other in ways that they never saw each other before. They lost the glory of the Lord. Plus, he lost his purpose. He was assigned a specific position of being, having dominion over all the earth, and he lost that. He surrendered that. We'll talk more about that as we go. 
God still provided for him, but he drove him from the garden. And he lost his position, lost his purpose. And Adam lived, if you can imagine, living with the consequences of that decision for the next 930 years. He lived right up until the time of, of Noah's father. Thinking about what happened, how did that happen? How did I get from the inside out? How did I lose everything that I had? Must have been traumatic. But some of the consequences of that sin, because it wasn't just an act of sin. He received a nature of sin. It's called the sinful nature. He received an entirely different nature than he ever experienced before. And with that came fear and shame and a propensity to sin again. But something he could never have factored in, in that dying, was showing up in his little babies. All of a sudden, he, he and Eve became parents. Father of two sons. You can imagine the shock and having these fine boys grow up. And then at one moment, one of them murders the other over worship, over how to approach God, how to please God, how to approach God in worship. And that still is happening to this day. People fight over worship. People separate over worship. People hate each other over worship. It's profound. But he didn't know it, but inside of him there was such a transformation that when he had his first son, the new nature that he received went into that child, and that child was born with a different nature than what God had created Adam with. We see it, if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I wish someone had explained this to me years ago. This would have relieved me of so many things in my own battle. But listen to this. God confronts Cain, so he speaks to him. He says, why are you angry? You know, he's angry over his offering being rejected. His wiser countenance fallen. He could see a sullen look on his face. We've all seen, if you're a parent, you've seen it. You've seen your kids who are, they've been called on something and they get that look. He could see it in Cain's face. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now we're seeing something different. It's not the act of sin or even the act of dying. He's describing a nature of sin. He personifies sin. And we see this all the way through the Bible. There's many times it stumps people. Uh, even John in 1 John talks about sin, but he's not talking about it as a single act of sin, of one moment where they've done something wrong, it's talking about a, a nature of sin that's at work. And he said, this, this sinful nature, this carnal part of you is crouched. It wants you. It wants to take over your life. It wants to have dominion over you. He said, but you should have dominion over it. Right from the beginning, that's what God wanted. But he describes something, he puts his finger on something that Cain didn't even understand about himself, that he had this evil 
tendency and this, this surliness toward God and towards his brother. God puts his finger on it. He says, that is sin at work in you. You should have dominion over that. He lies at the door. And this sinful nature took off. I mean, he murdered his brother, and then he had to leave, erect his whole relationship with God. He had to live the life of a vagabond, just a drifter from that point on. He lost everything as well. Then the Lord, if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 to 12, listen to this. Then the, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man, again, that's that nature, was great in the earth. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, birds of the airs, for I am sorry that I made them. And he talks about Noah finding grace in the eyes of the Lord and that Noah was a, a righteous man who tried to please the Lord in all his ways. The Lord, uh, Noah, walked with God. But then there's this little line says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And if you look at the word corrupt there, you're saying the earth was ruined. The whole thing was shot. It was ruined. It was so marred. When it says the earth was filled with violence, if you look up that word violence, it actually has to do with the word lawlessness. There's a, a sense where man just wanted to do his own thing regardless of the consequences, regardless of what other people thought, regardless how it affected anyone else, he became self-centered, just doing his own thing, whatever he wanted to do. The Lord said that the imagination of man, hijacked by the flesh, hijacked by this fallen nature, just grew more and more evil so that it would just do whatever it thought. It's an amazing condition if you've read anything about the Vikings, where they were just uh, marauders and they would just move around and just take whatever they come to. They come to a village, they would just rape and pillage and steal and just burn the place. And they just move from place to place out of that kind of nature. Well, that was what it was like during the time between Adam's sin and the time that Noah began to preach about righteousness. It was hell on earth. You can't imagine it. You can think of the worst gang life in America or anywhere else. Or the worst gang life or when I was growing up, you know, the idea of a biker gang where these guys were just in leather jackets with hell's angels on their back or Satan's choice. And they would just go and terrorize towns, see something they liked, they just took it. Who's going to stop them? And it was like that. If, if, if During this time, if someone is working, cultivating a farm and getting a garden in and building a nice, sturdy little house and starting a family, and someone could just come by, there's no law. There's no police. There's no consequences. If you could take 
everything that guy built and just take it. Take his wife, take his children, take everything he had. Who could stop you? It's a, it's a condition called lawlessness. And it rained. It was, it was what society was built upon. And God said, this is so awful. I wish I had never built this whole thing. I wish I had never created man. And God even had to change something in the nature of the animals because man would just kill everything he saw. He would just kill it. As soon as he saw it, he'd kill it. So God had to actually put a fear in animals and change their nature. Just wrecked the whole thing. So it wasn't just the act of sin. It was the nature of sin. It wasn't just a one-time death. It was death at work in the heart of a man. Everything became ruined. Do you see any of this at work in our society today? The guy could just walk into a Walmart and just do whatever he wanted to do, just do whatever he could imagine doing, everything he played out in his head that he would do. Or go to a game or go to a nice place and just do whatever you want to do. It's happening in our society. We need to understand why it's happening, how it's happening, where it started, what the solution is. There is a solution. The only solution that God could think of, this thing had gone on for almost a thousand years. It had gone on. The only solution that Almighty God could, could conceive of is he said, let's just wipe out the whole thing and start over. He found Noah. And after the ark settled in Noah created a free will offering, got a sacrifice going, the smoke was going up, God smelled the smoke. And this is what he said in Genesis 8:21. if you're tracking. He said, I'll never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I destroy every living thing as I've done. Well, it says the imagination of man is evil from his youth, that word youth, if you look it up in the Strongest Concordance, it says childhood. From childhood, from, from conception. And so this is wild. God's solution is to destroy every living thing and start over with eight people in the ark full of wildlife. But it's not a perfect solution because those eight people contain a sinful nature. Those eight people have death at work in them. The animal's nature has been altered. And so it's not a perfect solution, but it's a new beginning. Now he's going to set it up where now there's law. Law and order is coming. And you can read in Deuteronomy, if you turn there, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. God introduces a law. He finds a people, and there is no law in any society, in any culture, in any nation, any people group like this. And God introduced just laws about how to relate to each other, how to treat each other. He taught about hygiene. He taught about the, way to, the proper way to eat, the proper way to, to keep disease at bay. 
But he also did something that was really, really unusual. He knew this nature, this tendency of man just to destroy everything, to ruin everything, to kill everything. So he come up with some really stiff penalties that said, if you kill, you'll be killed. If you knock out someone's tooth, they'll knock out your tooth. And he set up this, this amazing legal system that contains swift punishment. If you do something wrong, it will cost you immediately. It'll cost your family. And he set this in motion because he's trying to deter through pain, through consequence, that sinful nature that's at work within man. Most of us, when we read the law, we don't like it. We don't like anything about it. We don't like the God who wrote the laws. I, I meet so many people say, oh, boy, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. Well, I didn't either. There's a whole period of my life where I didn't either. I didn't understand him. He seems so mean. A guy named Achan steals some silver. And as a result, his whole family, everything he has, his whole family, his wife, kids, they're all killed. They're all stoned. People rebel. That sinful nature comes out against Moses, and the ground opens up and just swallows them. They're, the men, the women, the children, their livestock, everything goes down into this mini earthquake, a sinkhole. They're just destroyed. I, and so when I see the God I am, when I see I am acting like this, there's something inside of me. I don't like him. He looks too strict. He looks mean. He looks petty. That's because I'm looking at him and I'm looking at those laws from a position of grace. I'm looking at a, at, a, at a fairly stable life where I'm pretty secure by the laws of the land. No one's coming to steal my house. No one's trying to kill me. And I'm looking at, at those laws and that behavior from this perspective. But if I come around to lawlessness, to where everyone's in a biker gang, so to speak, and, and everyone just kills and, and steals and destroys at will. And there's no consequences. There's no one to stop them. There's no police. There's no jail. There's no, there's no punishment. There's no courts. Looking at that kind of solution from this perspective makes sense. It's, all, it's overdue. Why didn't someone do something in the first place? Why did someone let this happen to my wife and kids? Why did someone take my farm? I, I need someone to step up and say, no more. There's going to be consequences for this. There has to be a price to be paid for acting this way. When you look at it from before the flood, you say, wow, we need something like this. When you look at it from a point where you're not doing anything wrong, you're not marauding, you're not living that way, it looks austere, it looks mean, it looks cold-hearted, it looks severe. Isn't it funny that we go through a week like we went through in El Paso and, and uh, Daytona, we go through uh, Dayton, we go through something like this, and all of a sudden there's an eruption of people saying, we need more laws. And there's other people saying, don't put more laws on me. I'm not doing anything wrong. I just, I hunt. I have, a, I have a collection of guns, but I'm not out there going in the Walmart shooting it up. Don't put more laws on me. All of a sudden, there's an eruption 
of the very thing that's been going on from, from time memorial, from the beginning. Attention. God brought these laws into, into existence. Here's what he says about these laws that he wrote. Because no other nation, no other culture, no other tribe had anything like this before. Listen to this. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 24 to 25. I'm reading it in the uh, ESV. It says, The Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as, it, as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded. It's an amazing thing. He says, the reason we have these laws, it's for our good. It's so that we can live. <laughs> if there weren't these laws, it would, it would be hell on earth again. He, he did it for our benefit, so that we would fear God. And it was an avenue of finding righteousness by doing the right thing, by doing what he said to do, which is going to play out, you'll see in time, how that's going to play out so huge. Listen to this. This is Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 to 21. Listen to this. This is the law. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him his father and mother shall take him take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of the town they shall say to the elders this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious he will not obey us he's uh, he's a drunkard. And the men of the town shall stone him to death. Consequence. Let's look at that for a second. It's saying that he has the son. He, he, was, our, he was our baby. He had this nature at working inside of him, this, this sinful nature a lawlessness, a, a sense of just doing whatever he wants to do. And who's going to say no to me? And if you say no to me, I'll, I'll punish you by, by more bad behavior. And this is at work within him until there's a point where he just does his own thing and he's drinking and carousing and just doing what he wants. So there's no solution. And lawlessness always spreads. It doesn't get better. It always gets worse. So the only, you go to the elders in the, of the tribe in the gate, and you go to the leadership, and you say, this is our son. He's rebellious. He has a nature that won't take correction. No consequence seems to get through to him. Help us with this. And they said, okay. And they, they put him to death. It's an amazing consequence. And this is prescribed by the law. This is Okay. This is a solution. Reminds me of a young guy who went to his pastor, and he said, Pastor, there's a nature inside of me that is so rebellious. There's, I don't like to be told anything at work, at home, at church. I don't, there's something inside of me that I, I don't like to be told what to do, and I can't seem to stop it. It just keeps coming. 
would you pray for me that it would stop? And he says, sure, son, come on over here. And he lays his hands on me. He says, father, kill this boy right now. Take him home. He pushes his hand off and says, what? Why are you praying that? He says, there's no other way, son. There's no other way. There's a nature that's at work within us that's shocking. I remember a time as a young pastor, and I had always had this inside of me, but I, I came to a point where I, I began to wonder, is there something broken inside of me? I wasn't raised in a godly home, didn't, didn't have faith growing up the way you do and other people do. I didn't have that, didn't have that advantage. So when I met the Lord, I was head over heels in love with Jesus. It was a major revelation that turned my whole life around so, so suddenly. And I was on fire and entered into discipleship and then pursuing the ministry. And, and so I was, on a, I was on a track for a long time where it was just Jesus. That's all I wanted to think about, talk about. Be, I just I couldn't stop praying, couldn't stop reading about him. I was just completely hooked on Jesus. He had changed my life so much. And then there's this period of time, I'm not even sure what all led up to it, where that all began to kind of normalize. And, and I began to see there's this, there's this nature, there's something inside of me that's broken. There's something inside of me that constantly wants to lie and lust. There's something inside of me that just, just is always right there, First, always speaking, always demanding, always wanting me to, to do evil. And I thought, you know, maybe I missed something. Maybe, maybe I should have had that cast out. Uh, maybe there was some, something that, I mean, I fasted and prayed and, and tried to keep on top of that whole thing. I really worked at it. Then it just doesn't seem to go away. It just seems like it's constantly there. So finally, I had this open open heaven time with the Lord, and so I could just talk to him about anything. And I said, Lord, is there something broken inside of me? There's just this propensity. It's always there. To, like the first reaction is, is anger, and the first reaction is, is to get even, and the first reaction is vengeance, and the first reaction, if they embarrass me, I want to embarrass them, and the first reaction is, 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 is to lie my way out of it. And, and there's so much... So much stuff going on inside of me. Is there something that didn't get taken care of? Is there something that maybe should have happened when I first started walking with you that didn't happen? Is there something broken in me? It feels like there's an evil man inside of me who's always angry, who's always proud, whose nose is always getting out of joint. And the Lord surprised me. I wasn't expecting this. One way that you know the Lord's speaking because it's not something you would have ever thought of. So calmly. I mean, I would have written me off. I would have brushed me off. That kind of, because I thought that was me. I would have just brushed me off his lap. I, would have, I wouldn't have had any more to do with that guy. But the Lord just spoke so calmly, so kindly. Like that didn't faze him at all. And he just, he just said, how have you gotten this far? 
<laughs> the, only re- the only way I've gotten this far, I keep saying no to that and keep saying yes to what I know is to, to do right. And then, the, then I would never have expected this. He said, if you had to do that until you died, could you do it? And I said, well, I've, I've been doing it all this time. I, I probably could keep doing it. And then this verse came to my mind from the words of Jesus and Matthew, where he says that, that we need to deny our self. And that self, I knew, I knew that selfish tendency, that selfishness that's inside of me toward lawlessness, that sinful self has to be denied. Someone has to say no to it. And I realize that's the only way I've gotten as far as I've gotten is I, I keep saying no to that and keep saying yes to what I know pleases God. He said, if you had to do that until you died, could you do it? Well, yeah, I've been able to do it. I, 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 that doesn't have any dominion over it. It can't make me do anything. I can always say no. Then I saw it. I saw it was like a light came on for me. In my soul, I can see my heart. I can see my heart loves God, loves the things of God, loves the word of God, loves everything about God, loves the worship. My flesh, that sinful nature inside of me, it's almost like there's a glass line and I could see both happening at the same time. I could hear both of their desires, hear both of their voices. And I could hear my flesh My heart likes to worship. My flesh doesn't want to stand that long. My flesh wants to fast. My my spirit wants to fast. And my flesh just keeps thinking about hamburgers. I could see a war in my soul between these two parts of me. And both of them are active at the same time. I'm a new creation. All things are made new But at the same time, there's this other nature that still exists in the same way that there's a new Jerusalem and there's still an old Jerusalem. There's a a new covenant, but there's still an old covenant. There's the old law and the new law. Old commandment, new commandment. Several things in the Bible exist at the same time. And I could see that I was attributing to me the desires and misdeeds, the propensity towards sin, of my sinful nature, I concluded that that was me. And God said, that's not you. That's your flesh. You, you, the spirit man, you, you're born again. You're a new creation. I am passionate for the Lord. I love the Lord. I love everything about the Lord. I love his ways. I love everything. I love his word. I love everything about him. That's me. And I had to start thinking, okay, well, that's not me. That's, that's my old man. That's a, that carnal nature. And I could say no to that. I could deny that. But I'd never heard teaching on this before. I'd never heard one sermon explaining this ever before. None of my friends sat around saying, yeah, I got this lust thing going on inside of me and I have to keep saying no to it. No one ever talked about that before. No one ever talked about just a constant propensity to lie your way out of everything. No one ever admitted that before. <laughs> so I thought it was me. They probably thought that I never had a problem with it. It's them. 
So I went to the two oldest guys in our church, two old Mennonite guys that I loved. These are saints. These are guys, I can't even picture them having a dirty thought in their mind. I've, I mean, they've never heard them say anything negative. They don't swear. They don't, they don't do any of the... I mean, they've, and they, they've been Christians all of their lives. And as far back as they can remember, as far back as they can go in their genealogy, they've been nothing but Christians. I can't say that about my walk, my life. So I went to these two old guys that were sitting and visiting, and I thought, oh, I've never done this before. This is a risk. And, but I, I'm, I'm coming to terms with this whole thing theologically. Because I haven't heard teaching about it, I'm not certain about some things. So finally, they're sitting there, and I say, guys, I, can, I, can I talk to you about something? Can I ask you something? And I described the war in my soul the way I just described it to you. Then I said, do you have this war inside of you? And they laughed. They said, yeah, all the time. I said, I can't picture that. I can't believe, I can't believe that's true of you. I can't picture you thinking and, and feeling this way. Me, I, I, I'm a sinner. You you come from a stock of Christians that goes way back to the 1500s. I mean, it can't be true. And they, they looked, they, they said, we have flesh too, Pen. That was a shock. That was a shock. I went to school with a guy named, I uh, went to Bible school with a guy named Michael. Michael was blind, completely blind, blind from birth. And I happened to meet up with Michael, and this whole thing, I'm trying to figure it all out, and I, I haven't really, what I've been teaching you this morning, I haven't come to yet, haven't figured it all out from Scripture. But I sat down with Michael, and I, and I described the war in my soul between my spirit and my flesh. And I described it to him, and I said, hey, Mike, do you have this war in you? And he says, all the time, man, all the time. I said, Mike, you're blind. How is that possible? How is that possible that you would have all this stuff going on? And he says, I've got flesh too, man. I've got flesh too. That was a shock. Now it sounds like a silly thing to say. Of course he has flesh. Wouldn't matter if you're blind. Wouldn't matter if you're deaf. There's a nature that came from Adam, up through Cain, up through Abel, and right on into Noah. It got on the ark. It got on the ark with those eight people. It got off the ark with those eight people. Aren't you disappointed when you read about Noah getting drunk and, and laying around naked and you're just so disappointed with him? Well, what, what's at work inside of him is that our flesh, our fallen nature has a propensity toward excess. You take a good thing like wine and you just drive it into the ditch. You just 
consume it until it consumes you. It's nothing wrong with wine. It's just excess in our, our fallen nature. It's just proof that he got off the ark and that thing was working. It was alive and kicking in him. And the law wasn't a permanent solution any more than the ark was a permanent solution. God, in his infinite wisdom, I am, in his infinite wisdom, had a plan. And, and the law was just biding the time, just making it so we, we can live, so we don't kill each other. There had to be a deterrent, a swift, strict deterrent. It's interesting that just last week, uh, one of our states here in the, uh, reintroduced capital punishment again because they say we have to have some kind of swift and st stiff deterrent. Our prisons are overflowing. God's solution, because lawlessness spreads, God's solution was a second Adam. That he'd create a second Adam who walked with him in the cool of the day, who had fellowship with him. And in order to create this, one thing that's so amazing, so brilliant, we, we, we sang this morning about the, his, his majestic ways. He said, I'm going to create a second Adam that's going to undo everything that the first Adam did. But to create the second Adam, I, I have to conceive him without going through man. Just go to a, a woman, find a virgin, a godly young virgin, and cause her to conceive so that he doesn't have that Adamic fallen nature that was in Cain, that showed up in Cain in this, this boy. And, and his whole heart will be to please me. He'll be able to be tempted just like anyone else. He could be, he could, this whole thing could go off the rails. It could, be, it could fail. And he will be tempted, and, and that's allowed. But he, he's going to be a prototype of a new species of being that has never existed before, that even though there's a fallen nature, there's, we can live above it to please the Lord. And so he created Jesus. He sent Jesus and, and bypassed Adam. That's why Joseph was never involved in the story, this part of it, because that's where the seed, this, this seed that was in the corrupted Adam and corrupted his kids and all the kids since, that had to be bypassed. And so there's no man involved. That's one of the most amazing things about the Christmas story is that he's trying to get to a place to set us free. He's trying to get us to a place where that sin has no more dominion over us. And he had to have Jesus come in the form of a sinful man in the form of man, in the form of flesh, in the form of everything, and have the, have the real potential of sinning, but no nature of sin. It's an amazing story. So he sent the second Adam, and you can read about it quite a bit. Paul really develops this in Romans, especially Romans chapter 5, if you'd like to read about everything that the first Adam brought, the second Adam changed, altered, permanently altered. It's, an, it's a majestic piece of writing. So Jesus comes, and this is, this is really wild. Jesus comes, and there's a, a movement, a religious movement called Pharisees. And what they were is, is 
There's periods where the law is no longer really working. People aren't really obeying the laws. So a group of people rose up and said, we want righteousness again. It was kind of a, re a revival movement. And this revival movement was getting back to the book. Let's be people of the book. And the Pharisees started off as light. And they started off right. And they insisted on keeping the laws. And they reintroduced some of the stiffer parts of the law because society wasn't doing very well at this time. But there's something about keeping the law that the more you do it, the more legalistic you become. And next thing you know, you create a religion, a religion that obeys principles and laws without a relationship with God. And they went down that road, and they went into a thing called legalism. So we got lawlessness, where you just do your own thing, and they, there's no consequence of the law. On this side, you got the law, but it's so strict, no, it suffocates everybody. It's, it takes life away. And those people, they got in deep, deep in the legalism. Many of us have come out of that kind of background. It's just the other ditch. This is lawlessness. This is another ditch called legalism. And they careened, and they went in that other ditch. And Jesus confronts them, and, and I, boy, he was so brave. Sometimes he'd stand in front of all these Pharisees. He says, you're a bunch of hypocrites, and you are lawless. <laughs> these, are keepers, these are the keepers of the book. These are people of the book, and he calls them lawless. Why? Because they're religious, but they just want to do their own thing as well. That old flesh just put on the right garments on the outside, but inside was just as corrupt, just as lustful, just as lying, just as hypocritical, except it looked good on the outside. He said, but inside we know you're completely lawless. You'll do anything you want to do to have your own way. What's amazing is those words came back at Jesus in that, in order to kill him, they said, let's kill him. <laughs> well, in order to kill him, they had to break about nine or ten laws to kill him, including they couldn't have a, they couldn't have a judicial meeting at night, and here in the middle of the night, they're having uh, a judgment about him. I mean, there's a whole list of laws that they broke to kill someone who they said was breaking the law. That's lawlessness. Only our old sinful nature could conceive of something like that. And they had to figure out how to do it, even paying bribery, even getting false witnesses to testify, which was against the law. <laughs> Isn't that wild? They had to break the law in order to kill someone who they thought was breaking the law? Ah, it's insane. And the more you go down that road of legalism, the more you go down that road of... Of following your old flesh, it becomes insane. It becomes really, really hard to figure out. Then Jesus died. When he died, he did something that was so profound, so amazing. He breathed into us from his heart an entirely new nature. A, sin, a sinless nature, a nature that has a propensity to do the things that please God. It's God who works within us both to will and to do his good pleasure. And that's at work inside of us. 
I wish someone had explained to me that those two natures are in me at the same time. He said all things become new, but there's a sense where that old nature is still beating, still kicking, and it will, it will be there until the day my flesh ceases. When I die and I kill over, I am free. I'm free from that for the first time, free from the pull of that. But there's a new nature at work within me. And Paul starts writing to Gentiles who experience this new nature, and he says, here's what you do. You put off the old man, and you put on the new man. It's not a once and for all kind of thing. It's a decision by decision, choice by choice, act by act, circumstance by circumstance. And this is how we live. This is how we live the Christian life. We choose to opt to another nature. He said, whatever nature you yield to, if you yield to your flesh, you will die. Same thing he said to Adam. If you yield to your spirit, you will live. And that's at work with inside of you. That's at work within our churches. That's why someone for one moment can be up there praising the Lord and the next, per the next moment chew the person out next to them and completely trash them and wreck them and, and lie about them and malign them and, and be divisive because there's two natures at work within them. Whichever one they yield can come out. We need to understand. We need to be able to to discern ourselves as to why we do what we do. How can you be in love with your wife one minute and then do something insidious to hurt her, that hurts her the next minute? Well, because there's two natures at work within it. It depends on which one to whom you yield, to whom you submit to. And this defines the battle of the ages that's not in the Walmarts of America. It's not limited to El Paso, it's in your heart, it's in my heart, and it's not at what they do, it's what I will do. What kind of person will I be? Who will I yield to? I wish someone had explained this to me when I was young. We're going to explore this. We're going we're gonna to get into something I've never taught before. We're going to get into child discipline. We're going to get into, we're going to, it'll explain how someone could be spirit-filled one minute, having the Holy Spirit come in their life, prophesying and speaking in tongues and doing all these amazing things, and the next minute their flesh is hanging out all over the place. It, we're going to make sense of that, hopefully. So that we can at least say, okay, I understand that. I get that biblically. I don't like it, but I understand it biblically. Because most of us look at those those carnal Christians, we say, ah, if that's, if that's the way it is, I don't want any part of it. Well, it is that way. It is that way in the Bible. It's that way in every church. We can't avoid it. We can't seem to snuff it out. It's here. It's here to stay. But what kind of Christian will you be? That's the issue. What kind of Christian will you be? How are you doing mastering the war that's in your soul. This explains so many things. And we hope the next few weeks, Nelson will be preaching next week, but the weeks after that, we'll be able to put it in context and it just, it'll explain so many things as to why they are the way they are. What's happening in our society? Here's what Jesus said. 
Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the, of the Son of Man be. And when Jesus comes back, it's going to look a lot more like the days of Noah. He said, it's going to look a lot more like the days of Lot and before Sodom and Gomorrah and all that went down, before the judgment happened. I think what we're seeing in society is going to get crazier and crazier. He said, lawlessness is going to abound. These are the words of Jesus. Lawlessness is going to abound, and the love of many shall grow cold, shall wax cold. Something's going to happen in our love level. It's going to go down our tolerance level, our way of relating to each other, and lawlessness is going to abound. It's going to get, it's going to get crazier out there. Even describes a man coming who's caught his whole, the way Jesus described him and the way Paul described him is the lawless one. So we need to understand this to be able to understand that just voting isn't going to change anything. Just voting for the right party because it's all crazy. It's all over the map. But we should be able to have some peace in our own heart regardless of what's going on in our society because we at least understand biblically why it is the way it is. We understand historically why it is the way it is. And it, it should bring some peace to our hearts. Do you want this? Has our society been ruined? Corrupted? I've been all over the world. As bad as it was this week, and as crazy it is when you read the, read the paper and see just if a guy sees a woman jogging in a park, he just takes her. And ends up, she ends up in the, in the trash. I mean, it just happens every day of the week. As bad as it is, there's a lot of other places in the world that's far worse. That's far worse, where there's no law. So I just say that just to bring some balance to the thing. That it's, it's, it's crazy out there. There's no question about it. But it's because it's crazy in here. There's stuff happening in here. That we're living with a consequence of a choice that a man made that he never factored all the, all, the ripple, all the ripple effect from that one decision. And we will be put under pressure to make a decision that affect our kids and their kids and their kids after them. We need to get on top of this. We need to get on top of this at least biblically. Amen? Are you willing to go with me in this? Why don't you stand together? I know I started losing some of you during that time, but that was still a shorter sermon than what I was intended. It's only 20 to 12 yet. So my better angel won. Can you just bow your heads? If you saw something today that you needed to see, why don't you turn that back to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your ways. Thank you that I can figure me out a little better today. Thank you for helping me to discern me, my circumstances, why the people in my life do what they do. Can you pray along that line? It explains the war in your soul. Why don't you say, Lord, there's a war in my soul. I'm tired of it. I hate it. I want it to be over. But I thank you for options that I never knew existed before. I thank you for sending Jesus. 
Thank you for putting your spirit within inside of me, your nature within inside of me. God, I want your nature to rule. I want your nature to win. Help me, oh Lord. I'm in a, I'm in a war. There's a war in my soul. God, help me. Help me to win. Help me to win while I'm here. Help me to win. And let's close with this. Could you just thank the Lord for sending Jesus as a solution? There's no ark. There's no law-keeping, rule-keeping. That didn't work because of the weakness of our flesh. Can you just thank God for Jesus, the only solution, the solution for your marriage, for your home, for your, ch your children, for what's going on in your soul, say, Jesus, thank you. Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming into my life. It changed everything. I need you. I want you. I can't live this life without you. Thank you, Father, for your wisdom. Thank you for coming up with a plan to undo and outdo all the works of darkness. Thank you, Father. That invested investment will not be lost in me. Amen? Amen.